Well, welcome to. No, I don't hate that. Why did I do that? <laughs> 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 All right. Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get from Canada and New Jersey. Ryan and Big Gun Doug. Welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. I'm your host, and with me is a returning guest host, somebody that I've had on the show a few times. Doug, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man, and I appreciate you inviting me back. I love these music episodes. I love listening to them. I like taking part in them because we have such a similar taste in music, especially going back to 80s metal. So these are such a thrill for me to be a part of. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, you and I are very similar. You know, we were both muscular and yeah, full tattoos. And uh, <laughs> actually, we're very different. Okay, uh, guess which one has tattoos and which one has muscles? It's a track, don't they say? Oh, that? that's adorable. Yeah. Well, we're both very, we're, you're both we're both very handsome, though. So we'll, we'll, very, very much so. <laughs> and we've lost every listener. <laughs> well, maybe there are two female listeners who are sticking around. Okay, here we go, guys. Uh, if you're joining us. I should say this. If you're joining us because we're doing a Metallica Master Puppets album review, welcome. Uh, welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. What we do on the show, basically what the format of the show is, is we take that which is the best from anything from a, an actor's acting career, musical artist, even food item, conspiracy theories, you name it. Whatever is the best of type of list or product that this individual or artist has produced, we then say, hey, even though it's the best of or the best thing or one of the best things this artist has done, like Metallica, that doesn't mean there's not something at the bottom. People are probably right now, Doug, are throwing a fit saying, how dare you say that there's anything wrong with Master of Puppets? I'm not saying there's anything wrong, but to say that all things are created equal on everything is – I think it's ridiculous. There's no way that you can enjoy in the same shape, manner – every song every moment of every song even on an album like master puppets what do you what do you think do you agree with that or are we not going to be able to convince anyone that there's something that could be at the bottom of this album well that's the beauty of this project that you've embarked upon is i mean i agree with you you could take the best album that was ever written and there's still one song on there that's going to be the least the worst of that best that's all it is I get your format. There's top 10 lists for everything. Okay. And even out of that top 10 list, there's something that's going to fall number 10. Okay. But with these music episodes and with the director and actor and movie episodes that you guys do, it's all subjective, completely, totally subjective. So no, we're the authority. Whatever we say here, everyone will agree. They'll stop listening to this episode. You know what? Everything Ryan and Doug said is absolutely what I would think. I would suspect. Right. Oh, so. We're going to pick the worst song, independent of each other, at the end of the episode. So we're going to go track by track, talk about our feelings about the band, about Metallica, about Master Puppets. Maybe the first time we heard it, if we remember the back that far. At the end, we're going to say, hey, this song is if, if, in whatever universe this scenario existed in, if one song just ceased to exist and you would never hear it again on this album, which song would you be willing to sacrifice to the metal gods? 
I would say maybe the word worst is a little misleading because when you got an album like Master of Puppets, it's really what's the least best or what's the, <laughs> you know, the eighth best, <laughs> you know, on this, yeah. on this. Album. It always depends it's on the really topic. Old. It depends on the topic. Cause we've had the, one of our favorite uh, episodes is our yearly celebrity death episode. And mm-hmm. some of the people that we pick are very bad individuals. So it's easy to say, this is the worst person that died from the uh, sure. top celebrities that died. But this is a situation where, yes, Master Puppets is an incredibly, incredibly well-reviewed, well-loved, established thrash metal album that has stood the test of time, that's loved by metalheads, is loved by Metallica fans, both old and young. Number one, can you believe how young they were when this album came out? I had a hard time remembering that this was their third studio album. For some for some reason, in my young brain, right. I thought that and Justice for All came out before this, which is impossible because Cliff Burton was still on this album. Right. So I, I don't know what connection my mind made, but the how advanced their music style were this early in their career. James Hetfield, for example, was sixty-three. Sorry, he was born in. Sorry, he was born in. Yeah, he's sixty-three years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. in nineteen eighty-three. Yeah, he was eighty-six. He was born in nineteen sixty-three, and so he was. Quick math here. This came out in eighty-six. He was twenty. Three. Wow. 23 wow. when this album came out. That to me. At the height of his game. That's insane to me. They were so young when they did Kill Em All. They were so, and they're all about the same age. I'm not going to go through all their ages, but just give an idea. So they're in their early to mid-20s. And this is their third studio album. Can you imagine? You're 23 and this is your third album. And you're playing 70,000 seat arenas opening up for Ozzy Osbourne. Amazing. That blows my mind. Yeah. Well, well ahead of their time. But this album became the first metal recording to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. It was the first metal album, correct? Is that what you said? Uh, the first metal album to to be, to be, so, be selected to, yeah, by the Library of Congress, yes. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's widely known as one of the most influential heavy metal albums of all time. We talk about the big four. We talked about it on our Anthrax episode. Nick, go check but it those, out. Those, sorry. No, no, I was saying no. No, go check it out. Yeah, <laughs> so to, our, to our listeners who might have popped onto this, we did a two-parter of uh, Anthrax. Check it out there, uh, ladies. Yes. And yeah. But these Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, Slayer, Megadeth. Yeah. Slayer is kind of in a different realm, I would say, than the other three. They're a little bit darker. What was it called? Yeah. Is it death metal officially? I don't even know. It's thrash. It's, it's still thrash, but it's it's way heavier than than these guys. Yeah. It, it's not as accessible as yeah, right, right, right. These guys like they reinvented the genre. You can credit them with pioneering the thrash movement. Their thrash existed, but they even changed what thrash was. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people even realize the little nuances that separate thrash metal from regular heavy metal at the time. I guess it's clearer to us since we kind of been researching it more for for these episodes, but. It doesn't separate, you know, regular metal fans from thrash fans. Like it's right. all kind of encompassing. What year were you born? Seventy-eight. Okay, so I was born in seventy-five. What was your first exposure to Metallica? Probably and Justice for All. Yeah, me too. Okay. And I think that's why I don't know that that always pops out in the forefront. That's why I thought well, that's this. That's fair. That's fair. That so you were this. you I was were ten young. years old when Justice came out. I was, but I don't think I even discovered them until I was about twelve or thirteen. Sure. Okay. And that was my first introduction to it. 
only because I'm a little bit older, but it's amazing when you're that age, like the difference between a 13 or 14 year old to 11 year old. When I was 14, I was already well established listening to, and I, I know you were listening to music early too, but I was like you, I was listening to music since the early 80s, like Van Halen and Molly Crew and, and all these mm-hmm. bands. So I never really got into metal metal until uh, my teen years. I, I can't even remember if it was Rust in Peace that I heard first or if it was Justice for All. To be honest with you, I don't know, but I credit my brother, Jason, who's been on these uh, episodes a few times. He introduced me to Megadeth and Metallica. But Metallica was, of course, their song one was the first – well, MTV. So Metallica can thank MTV whether you agree with that or not because before Injustice for All – and look, I'm I'm not educating anyone that's a Metallica fan here. But before Justice for All, they were underground band in the sense they didn't didn't, uh, have videos. They didn't have airplay, so to speak. They just were toured and toured and toured and they were kind of like – they call it underground because they just – Word of mouth was was their mantra. Right. Uh, their scene was kind of limited to the San Francisco right. area, which, where they were huge. They weren't internationally known the way – well, they were, but they weren't at the same time. One of the music producers, or I can't remember who it was, and again, I apologize. He said that he saw a Metallica shirt in whatever European country. He's like, oh, these guys are – worldwide more than he thought because there was no internet back then there was no it's just word of mouth it's kind of cool just like hey you gotta check out this band metallico who are they uh, so justice for all comes out i listened to the track once saw the video on uh, the canadian mtv channel which is called much music and i was like this is so insane so this was the heaviest thing that a young ryan ever heard at the time i just remember being blown away by this dark guttural voice by james and the head banging the video was so creepy with the guy losing his arms legs sight and everything about oh, it. oh yeah yeah so everything about it was just so intriguing mm-hmm. for a 14 year old kid i was just what is this you know insanity so i got the album on tape cassette i listened to justice for all day after day after i would just side a flip it side mm-hmm. side a and i had a paper route in the morning and that was my paper route route listening was this on uh, my sony cassette player <laughs> it was yellow it was water with the, with the metal headphones yeah the oh, steel, I, I, the love band those, head. I love those yeah. the head things yeah i'm listening to this thing it took me to a world dog that i just because i was listening to the you know bands like acdc poison aerosmith you know the hair bands and hard rock and but then I was taken to this world of dark energy, not dark in an evil way, but just dark tones, uh, messages about the earth being destroyed, and all this stuff. And I was just like, what is going on here? The guitar souls and the crunchy chords were just adrenaline pumping for a kid, right? For a teenager. So my brother's like, hey, you know, they have other albums. I guess I should have known that, but I didn't know their history at all. So my same brother, Jason, he's got the uh, Master Puppets album on tape cassette. He goes, hey, you got to check out their album that came up before this one. And I remember kind of being like, oh, do I want to listen to something from the past? You know, because even when you're a kid, you think, oh, 1986 from 1990 is like, oh, four years. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, it's a quarter of your life ago. But so I'm like, okay, sure, I'll turn on. I'll never forget hearing the first chords. Now, of course, the first song on Master Puppets is Battery. And I'm like, this is insane. The level of thrash and insanity was like, what is going on here? That was how I first heard this album. That was my long story. So I first, I'll never forget it actually. I was lying on my bed, headphones on. It was dark. I just put it on and I was just taken again to another world of the mastery that is Master of Puppets. I have more vivid memories of just like you of listening to End Justice for All the Master of Puppets. Similar to you, it was my brother that kind of introduced me to this type of metal. And Justice for All, just like you, it was the video of one. Every time after seeing that video that I heard the song, it kind of brought me back to watching the video. And yeah, it was it was like eerie. In the video, they cut in clips of the movie, 
but not just the video, the audio too, right? Yeah, it's like Johnny got a gun or something like that, or Johnny gets Johnny a gun. Johnny got his gun, which is the book or the movie that the song is based on. A guy who gets it's a guy who gets his arms and legs blown off in the war and he loses his sight and his hearing. So that's right. Well, that's the lyrics. Landmine has taken my sight. Taking my speech. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. But the whole movie kind of takes place in the guy's mind, which mm. is his own prison because he can't communicate because he's got no arms, legs, sight, or hearing. Yeah. So that really hit me as wow, that the horrors of, of what war can do to a person. I have more vivid memories listening to that. Of course, that classic scene in the video one where he's like, kill me over and over again, kill me. You yeah, do this yeah. Morse code with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Man. Right. Insane. Insane. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from the enjoyment that I got out of listening to Master of Puppets. Mm. Just like you was in the days of tape decks and everything. And me and my brother had this huge like side-by-side one where you can record one. Just so we made like tons of mixtapes and shit. Nothing but good memories listening to these albums. Absolutely. All right. So, well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to do is we're going to go track by track. We're going to play a little clips. There might be people listening to this, like my mom, <laughs> who aren't familiar with the songs. And believe it or not, she kind of enjoys some of these metal songs. I think she said, I really like that Anthrax band. And she told me that. <laughs> if you can believe it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, she enjoys you, enjoys you as a co-host too. But I think she's she. I, I remember being surprised. Like, you listen to the Anthrax episodes. She goes, "Yeah, well, thank you, Mrs. Revolkin." Yeah, she's a sweetheart. What we're gonna do is we're gonna play a little bit of clips from uh, parts of each song. We're not gonna play it all the way through. Like we always say, if you want to hear the songs in their completion and you're not familiar with this album, which there might be a couple of listeners who aren't familiar. We're going to give you a taste so you understand the sound and the energy and some of the things we'll talk about. We invite you to obviously listen to this whole album on your own. That would be our hope. Is uh, If you don't know this album, take a listen to it. We touch on uh, just the fact that this was the last album featuring bassist Cliff Burton. Right. We mentioned this also in Anthrax episode because Anthrax was opening for Metallica on the European leg of their tour for this album when the, the tour bus rolled off the road and Cliff Burton was ejected. From That's the bus. Crazy. Yeah. You yeah. know, the driver of the bus was charged with manslaughter. He claimed black ice, but it was largely thought that either he was drunk or fell asleep at the wheel. He was never convicted, but he was charged. Oh, poor guy. Can you imagine that guy had to live his life as the bus driver that killed Cliff? Oh, my God. People get death threats for such such minor things these days. I can imagine that that would be a big one these days. So there is a cassette of a fan recording of Metallica's September 1986 live concert in Stockholm, which was Cliff Burton's final performance before his death. So yeah. there you go. It's, it's out there. Cliff Burton, again, if you are a Metallica fan, there's nothing that we can say that the average fan or to the fanatic fan will know more than we do. But an amazing uh, bass player, had his own uh, classical training, brought that to Metallica. In many ways, uh, this is the direction that Cliff took the band. I mean, the early two albums, Kill Em All and Ride Lightning, great albums in their own right. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Kill Em All or Ride Lightning are anywhere in the league, quite frankly. That this one is put it this way, I will have an easier time. I could pick two songs on both those albums right off the top of my head that I maybe will save for another day because I don't want to give it away. We'll do some more, more episodes of Metallica. It's much easier to pick the worst song on those albums than it is this one. Sure, there's I songs agree. that I there's songs that I skip on those two albums. I can't even think of the total track listing on yeah. either. That's, that kind of tells you yeah. something. There's something special about this third album, obviously. But I think Cliff had a lot to do with that. But they definitely wanted to go with a heavier, more polished. It's actually in its own right, a kind of a polished, a high production album. Battery, right away, is the opening track. I like the album Ride the Lightning with their Fight Fire with Fire. They had that little acoustic kind of beginning. 
funny enough, my wife at the time, we went to Metallica. She was actually pregnant with her second son at the time. And I always say that's why my uh, second son is such a metalhead. We always used to say because he was, he was, his first concert was a Metallica concert when he was in the womb. <laughs> yeah, it's great. true. He's, she was like eight, she was eight months pregnant. So he was definitely feeling the uh, vibrations. I always wonder, like, I wonder, <laughs> is he going to lose any hearing being in that uh, womb? But I guess that's the automatic protection. Yeah, you never know. She wasn't totally familiar with Metallica, but, you know, knew a lot of their, you know, of course, you know, the Enter Sandman stuff and all things like that. But she just, you know, goes to a concert with her husband at the time. But it's funny, Fight Fire of Fire was played at this concert. She turned to me and says, oh, this is really nice. She's hearing the acoustic part, you know, do, 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 the acoustic part to Fight Fire with Fire. I just turned to her and said, just give it 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and we have that same kind of beginning here with Battery, the same type of, I wouldn't say like false beginning, but it's if it's your first time listening to this, you might be, oh, this is a very interesting album. Or a very, oh, this is a very nice soft song. It almost has like a... Uh, Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Western feel to it. Well, like I said, we're not going to play the whole song. Right away here, you got the nice little, like that acoustic, almost like a spaghetti western type feeling to it. Still with that deep bass in the background. And then, of course, the heavy guitar chords kicking. You're like, okay, okay, yeah, here's the heaviness. Yeah, here's that heaviness. But still, as a first-time listener, the audience isn't quite prepared for the battery of sound they're about to hear. It's a slow build for sure. Music has changed, and also the attention span of the consumer has changed too. So you start off what's supposed to be a heavy album with this low acoustic part, and then even when the guitars come in, it's just a you know a hanging note and some you know drum hits, and then it doesn't really get into it. I, I, we talked a lot in the Anthrax episode too about the lengthy intros, and that was a thing back in the day with metal. They kept you on the hook until all hell broke loose. Man, when it does, it's such a great payoff. But nowadays, man, will people even sit to be like, oh, my God, acoustic next for me? Like, it keeps me on the hook saying, oh, my God, what, what are they building up to? Well, let's find out. So right there, that assault of sound and James and the vocals. And again, I know I, I'll probably say it a few times, just how young they are. The energy and the aggression, it's insane. It kicks 
once that thing drops and they come in with that fast, again, I hate to keep referencing the Anthrax episode, but they share such a similar style. But Lars uses that really fast, um, they called it a blast beat that Charlie Benante is credited with pioneering. Really fast, really fast drum beats to go with the really fast guitar. In the chorus, when the lyrics go smashing through the boundaries, lunacy has found me, they go from that really, really fast beat, really fast beat, and then they, they let a guitar chord hang just for like a half a beat before it crashes back in. It's really, really have a great, great groove. They figured out their style in this, man. I know I mistakenly always assumed this song was about the uh, battery, artillery batteries that you find in war. But James has said that the battery refers to angry violence as in the term assault and battery. The battery could be a reference to Battery Street in San Francisco, where, where a lot of the clubs where the band used to play were located back in their mm. early days. But I find that harder to believe than, than just battery as an assault and battery. The title refers to Battery Street in San Francisco. It was on this street that many of the clubs where Metallica first played were situated. Battery is found in me. Shows oh. that these early shows on Battery Street were important to them. Battery is where the lunacy finds you and you smash through the boundaries. I don't know. It seems pretty like an well, arbitrary kind of... It, it could be an interpretation. Okay. And that's the beauty of art. It, it fits. It might not have been James' intention. It might have just been a... Uh, coincidence that the two are related but right yeah but the song does sound like a very verbal aggression uh assault smashing through the boundaries lunacy has found me cannot stop the battery pounding out aggression turns into obsession cannot kill the battery this is a situation where the lyrics just match the fury of the song you listen to songs pop songs country songs especially there's no real reading between the lines they put out their lyrics and it's exactly what the song's about but back then like you you can interpret it any way you want you could apply it to your life at the time some people like they listen to this stuff in their misery and take the lyrics as man they're, they're it's personal to me it's i'm feeling in a dark place so they interpret the lyrics to be darker than maybe even the band intentioned right or when you're lifting weights you're like man these, these lyrics really helped me pump through the last couple of reps that i can't get out yeah that's how i feel i'm applying it to us you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm a gym rat you know what i'm saying you know mm-hmm. people look at me and like man this guy work out <laughs> absolutely not okay <laughs> When Metallica did this, uh, when they did this album, as most albums, it's James and Lars. They're the ringmasters with the music and the sound. I'm a Lars supporter. I'm really sick of the Metallica fans who crap on Lars. He's not a good drummer. Maybe I'm not a drummer, so I don't see or hear what they think he should be doing. But Lars is a genius in many rights, man. Metallica would not be who they are without his business savvy. His intelligence as a as a promoter and as a songwriter, James and it was a James great and, songwriter. Yeah, James and Lars wrote this freaking album, so you can say yeah. what you want about it, but it wasn't Cliff though. He had his own groove and stuff that he adds to these the, the songs, the main riffs and the ideas were all James and Lars. James and Lars they sat in garage in San Francisco, and they kind of workshopped the music. They start with a guitar riff, they kind of fine tune it. Then they give the song a name and write the lyrics around the name of the song. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, a musician, so it sounds backwards to me, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans. I'd figure you write the lyrics first and kind of name the song after that, but it works. It does work. And it works for the second track. Now, Master of Puppets is the title track. It's the second track on the album. It's the, officially a single. I guess the uh, uh, Metallica did release this as a single to whatever stations played this type of music, I presume. It wasn't played on your normal AM dial. I would assume it was whatever college or metal stations were at the time in 86. I don't know what stations were playing metal at this time. I don't think it was initially released as a single until the re-release of it because 
they weren't featured on MTV and the radio as much. And Master of Puppets, you remember they had those little 45s? Yeah, this back is then, eight, this is that's how long. <laughs> that's how they release singles, and and the eight and a half minute song wouldn't fit on a, on one side of a forty five, so they couldn't release it as a single. Again, Wikipedia. I'm just saying, uh, it does say released July second of eighty six as a single. Yeah, uh, maybe for what? some sort of maybe. Well, there were play? stations. There were state. I don't. I, you yeah. know, I was only eleven years old in eighty six. I only listened to what my parents put on the radio in the car rides. It was their radio, but I'm sure there are were stations. I'm sure people will be like yelling at their. Uh, phone right now as you listen to us but i'm sure there were stations that yeah. played underground metal or what have you and even the companies record companies back then probably it's probably like local stations in la who knows mm-hmm. yeah you know okay so they were, they were popular enough after kill them all and ride the lightning that you know they would get decent radio play on metal stations yeah ex- exactly as few as they were but right. master yeah. puppets is the title track it's a concert staple it's played at every show, I would say, and rightfully so. But the problem with Master Puppets, now this is not hinted at my pick, and I won't because I've been doing this a long time. I won't, you won't know my pick till the end, probably. Here's the problem with Master Puppets. The good news is when I first heard this, I remember, again, I was a kid. I was 14, well, 14 years old. When this song came on, it particularly took me a place of like, holy smokes. This is like batteries are pretty much a straightforward rock and awesome kicking your teeth opening track. But the Master Puppets is even more polished, more heavier, more crunchy, and then it has that time change, and it takes you on a whole different journey. And as a, I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I'm like, I, I'll never forget. I felt like I was floating away in this weird like state of euphoria when I heard this uh, change and uh, the way it just and just it's melodic and almost beautiful in the chaos of the song. It takes you all over the map from heavy to like that acoustic interlude to like a guitar solo when you think the song's over they come in with another verse and chorus like at the end yeah it's amazing it, it's insane it doesn't feel like an eight and a half minute song no. either no the you problem know? with the song it's not metallica's fault this they, they have to play to the crowd so they play it all the time but the problem with the song james insists on having the crowd sing the verses at the shows and drives you at the wall because the crowd, for the most part, doesn't know the way James would know it. And so you kind of just get a bit of a – you get the crowd, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> They just say it's not quite clear because it's so fast and such – a lot of lyrics are being thrown. I've never seen him what? live. But I know I know what you're talking yeah. like, – what you're talking about. He he has a crowd do the master, master. No, 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 no. They'll trade off a chorus here. For example, oh. he'll say – End of passion play, crumbling away. And then the crowd will then sing, I'm your source of self-destruction. Uh, the crowd say, and then he'll go, uh, then he'll say, veins to pump with fear, sucking uh, dark is clear. And then a lot of people don't know <laughs> the next one is leaning on your desk. Now, maybe a lot of them do. Further, he goes into the song because your, your memory is just what it is. And there's a lot of casual, I would say casual fans, but there's a lot of non I listened to this a hundred times over. Like I've listened to the song for decades I, now, uh-huh. but it's just so it's a little muddy when it gets, when it gets it a little muddier. As, and I don't think he does it as much anymore because maybe he's caught on to that. But in the nineties and early aughts, he would do this, and I'm like, stop making the crowd. I just want to hear you sing it, James. I don't get a kick out of the crowd singing it. I like it when the singer sings it. And this song, he's notorious for it. It takes a little mm-hmm. bit of the oomph out of it when James uh, doesn't sing. Anyway, so okay. with without further ado, let's he- hear how this song begins, shall we? Shall we? Right away. No, uh, no building. Right there, that part. 
right there, that part there is where the crowd would kick in. But let's uh, talk about that intro. Well, I, I hate stopping. Trust me. I, that's one of the worst things about doing this I, podcast. <laughs> it's like I want to keep listening. But again, if you want to hear this album, guys, listen to it by all means as much as you want. But This is where I think a drummer's genius, like Lars's genius, comes into play that might not – not that I'm a music expert. I, I'm not, but no, I understand no, what time signatures are. Okay. And usually in music, you get like four beats per measure. That's the time throughout the entire song. But they do things like in the chorus, you know, when they're at the end of, you know, when it's like, that's an interruption in the time signature. Those things are like, they come right out to the forefront. I'm like, wow, where the hell did that come from? Adds to the, to the heaviness of it. And I guess the thrash, thrash genre. So let's hear a little bit of the chorus for our listeners who might not know the chorus. And then we're going to show you that little time change that we talked about because I think it's a really important part of the song. That's a great chorus. And that's the part with the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying to be a wet blanket. <laughs> I like when a crowd sings with the band, but I don't like it necessarily when they take over for the band. That part right there is a great crowd interaction there with the lights going blink up and down. Master. And the crowd's oh, like yeah. the whole crowd oh, yeah. screaming, the master. And I always wonder when bands do this, when they record their songs, do they kind of know, hey, this would be a good crowd interaction part? <laughs> I don't, they might. They might. So that definitely is there. Could you play like the interlude? The solo during the interlude, it's Hetfield solo. Yeah, Hetfield, yeah. It, it, it kind of it starts. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best part of the song, quite frankly. But it's like, it's an acoustic part, the metal, you know, the electric solo going over the acoustic. And then as the solo progresses, it gets heavier yeah, and yeah. heavier. It's like a slow build. Before we get into a little bit more there, and this song is eight minutes long, so there's a couple of parts we need to showcase. Incredible build up solo with that, and then that rolling drum that Lars does. I, I don't know how to describe mm. it. It's kind of that, yeah, kind of that tribal boom, 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 like kind of menacing doom is approaching type drumming, and it gets mm-hmm. really heavy. And they're just like, Master. then the parts come where Kirk will kick in with his solo, and that's just Which and is then, incredible. Also, yeah. it, you know, by all rights, should be like towards the end of the song you think you know maybe you'll have another version of the chorus and the song ends there's still three minutes left yeah it's insane (laughs) 
Look how fast Kirk is going, man. He <laughs> flies, man. He His guitar work is amazing. You know, it's funny. I still feel like he's an underrated guitarist. I don't know why. I don't. I just don't think he gets the credit he does. He does I know he does, but he, like they're hugely successful, very well off band, rightfully so. They have a lot of money each. But sometimes I just feel like he just doesn't get talked about enough. I don't know why it is. I don't know, man. Now, like guitar players are a dime a dozen, so maybe I definitely think like he he sets himself apart from the rest. But there's people that can do this solo. Here's the thing. I want to make this clear. This is what, and this is to all you copycat showboats out there who do like covers of bands that you love which is great but just because you can do it doesn't mean we should applaud you and don't get at me here what i'm trying to say is is that it's one thing to play what's already been created Mm -hmm. he created the sound he created okay i want to make that clear so when i say kirk because kirk creates all the solos james and lars create the riffs in the songs but they had to say kirk here's your solo for the most part, that's my understanding. Like Kirk is a solo guy. He was hired to be the solo guy. That's his thing. He's amazing at it. And Kirk will interpret what needs to go there for the solos. This goes for everyone that does. They're like, watch 12-year-old girl play Van Halen. That's great. That's an incredible tale. But I'll wait till she creates a song that's mm-hmm. as good as Eddie. And that's a whole different ballgame, being oh, able yeah. to compose the music as well as play it. You can have the fastest fingers in the world. But if you don't, if your solo doesn't sound good in the song, it doesn't make a difference it or doesn't mean anything or you can't create a master puppets album <laughs> yeah that's for sure yeah, so if you can look i know a lot of people make money off youtube and stuff doing cover stuff and it's not anything against those people i'm just saying like you're saying there there's some guitarists who are very good at being guitars like they're technically good at their craft but they don't compose songs that excite me right yeah so to me it's about composition not just speed but in this particular case we have both we have speed and Amazing composition. But I just want to play this next part really quick, and then we'll move on to the third song, is how it just rolls back into this incredible crunchiness again that I just love. That's like a rolling... To me, it's almost like Beethoven. To the chorus and then uh, rin- the course, the rinse verse. and repeat in a good way. It's funny that I say Beethoven because we know that Metallica, of course, hooked up with the uh, LA Symphony to do a couple of uh, symphony albums that they've done with where they've mixed classical or, or orchestral yeah. mm-hmm. instruments to uh, mix with their songs. And Metallica is basically Beethoven, or if you do Beethoven and put electric guitar behind it, it's metal. That's an interesting way to think of it, but you're right. You just replace that and just put it with violins. It's yeah, yeah. Like, da, 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 da. You know, it would be just like a violin sound. <laughs> I'd be absolutely You can see me doing this. Nobody else can. I look like an absolute reject. All right. All right. Anything else you want to finish off with that song? It's a big one. No, it's it's a long one. It's a big one. That's and what it's, she said. <laughs> You're like oh. a big child. <laughs> I am terrible. I'm 45 years old, Doc. <laughs> what is wrong with me? You know, I yell at Katie all the time for laughing at your jokes, man, but you really, you got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm terrible. All right. Speaking of things that should not be, da, 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 the third track is called The Thing That Should Not Be. 
you can go right into it. It's just it's a, a real different look than what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. It's good. That's the way putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you're saying, a very different feel. Uh, we've got the uh, pace is slowed down, and it's a very kind of a creepy, kind of like dark, like almost like I always picture the song like if music could have a physical form. I always vision the song like a slinkering snake through the grass, like this creature, kind of this this thing that should not be this creature that should not exist does exist, and this is what it's doing. It's a very horror kind of film type feel to the song. That riff was written to emulate the sound of a sea monster dragging itself into the sea. So there you're not you wrong. Wow. Look at me. Uh, the song is based on Legend of the, the Sea Monster Cthulhu. Which they did a musical instrument. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, an instrumental on there. Is that the same creature that they did the call to Cthulhu on their uh, yep. Ride Lightning? Yeah, I, yep. I forget the author's name. That wrote. H.P. Lovecraft. That's the guy. Okay. The thing that I notice about this is how low and chunky the guitars sound, like a lot lower and more. I know yeah, it's the, even the lower very, than the master. That's right. We've even got yeah. to, like, it's a deeper tone already. Yeah. The very limited knowledge I have on music, sometimes like a band will tune down their lowest string. Mm. Like it's, it's normally an E, an E chord, I believe. And sometimes they'll tune it down to like a D, which gives it like a really darker, deeper, darker feel. I think that may be the case. I know they they have done it a couple of times, Metallica, in their darker songs. So that could be the case in this one to give it that darker feel. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah. But it's chunky. I would say it's the heaviest track on the album. I wouldn't say just the heaviest mm-hmm. in the sense of like speed, but it's the yeah, it's the chunk. It's the it's the one that sounds the lowest in tone and slowest rhythm wise too. Be wise. Right. Pretty good. I've heard something. Nailed it. <laughs> Okay, actually, hear that again. Allison Chains, anybody? Let's listen to that again. Uh, Which is totally fine. I mean, one of my favorite bands is Allison Chains. There's no argument that Metallica has inspired much sound and influence to the bands of yesteryears and today. Let's hear that again, that Allison Chains riff there. Right there.
you mentioned Alice in Chains there, and I can see it does sound it fits in a grunge scene than than metal. Of course, it's just a little bit heavier than grunge, but I mean, Alice in yeah, Chains does some yeah. pretty heavy tones in Southern uh, Jerry Cantrell, and it's oh, no surprise sure. one of the uh, co- the concert I was speaking about earlier. I've seen Metallica live six times, but the show I was talking about earlier, where my wife at the time was pregnant with her second son, uh, mm-hmm. it was actually Jerry Cantrell was opening for Metallica. Mm. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Small wonder that they kind of run in the same circles, same circle of sounds there. Yeah. All right. The fourth track on the album is called Welcome Home Sanitarium. That sounds like my life. Every time I come home from work, it's a madhouse here. <laughs> <laughs> I got my son next to me laughing at that. You like that, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> my nine-year-old son got that joke. Yeah. This is an interesting song. I remember it was about grade 11 or 12, or as you Americans would say it, it was my, uh, don't tell me, it was my junior year in high school there was a big metal head at this time I'm fully in throng you know just I'm a complete like metal head uh, in the sense of I look kind of like I do now I've always had you know short hair more or less I had long bangs in the 90s like you would see on Dawson's Creek whatever but that being said I never had long hair in the back I, I had long bangs I was able to put my bangs in my mouth it was like that surfer look anyways the point is I always loved metal music even though I didn't look like a metal guy and I had this conversation with a classmate this girl and she's like oh I can't listen to Metallica they're just singing about this and that she basically accused them of probably being satanic or evil in their lyrics which is hilarious because when you read their lyrics they're talking about being controlled by the government, being controlled by drugs, being controlled by like the dangers of drugs, uh, the dangers of government control. That you know, uh, being a, basically, uh, there's some songs coming up talking about that. Of course, dangers of religion. Uh, they never talked about sexual uh, or anything um, gratuitous. For the most part, their songs had not very. And there is a song that has some cursing later, which is interesting. We'll talk about that. But they were, and they actually very rarely, very rarely curse in their songs. So I showed her the uh, lyrics to the Welcome Home Sanitarium. It was interesting. I actually wrote them out. I actually presented it to her as a poem. And I didn't tell her it was from Metallica. I said, hey, check out this poem. I, of course, this is pre-internet. I didn't have the internet at home. But I had the liner notes, of course, from the album. So I wrote out by hand. And I titled Welcome Home Sanitarium <laughs> by James Heffield. <laughs> and she didn't know who the singer's name was. And she read, goes, wow, this is a beautiful, very uh, intriguing, beautiful piece of literature regarding mental patients and stuff. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, it was by the band that you think is terrible, uh, Metallica. And she goes, well, I, well, looky, looky there. So she, But she appreciated what I did to show this. Sometimes you got to maybe work your way backwards into accepting a, your misconceptions of a certain artist might be, you know. And she ended up liking the song. I remember that. So. And I heard this my whole life listening to me- to metal. Anytime somebody, oh, you're you're a fan of Iron Maiden, kill your mother, kill your father, eat your dog. You know that's not yeah, no even close. That's, that's country music. <laughs> <laughs> on Kill 'Em All, they had nothing that was slow on that album. There was no songs that quite slowed down. Really, I don't like the term ballad, but we say ballad because of the pace of the song and the, uh, yeah. the sound. It's a little bit more accessible to maybe someone who doesn't have metal ears. Fade to Black was a example of that on Ride the Lightning and now we have this again for uh, Welcome Home on this album and then one in many ways was like that for uh, Justice for All and then they went into full crazy stuff with Nothing Else Matters but this is an example of a song that's slow and melodic for much of the song and it certainly starts off that way
All right, so right away you're like, oh, okay. And you might be tricked. You're like, oh, they got me with battery with this kind of intro. They're going to go heavy uh, right away. I treat it to a little solo right bef- before the verse starts. It's a, yeah. It's a, a departure from what we've heard so far, but this, uh, man, I love this song. Yeah. And not for the power ballad, for like, like it, it flip flops back and forth. We go from this, we go to heavy, back to, to the acoustic verse, back to heavy. Kirk's solo later in, in the song after the interlude is insane. Insane. I saw a guy in in high school. I was friends with a guy that, that was a really fantastic guitar player. I saw him play Kirk's solo. That's after the, uh, not interlude, I guess, breakdown or whatever. Right. It, it blew me away. It blew me away. What I mean, that was really the first time I've seen somebody play guitar live. And just, just, just to see what it takes like and how fast your fingers have to move up and down the fretboard is incredible. Welcome Home Sanitarium. It's uh, just like we're saying, it's about mental patients. But specifically, it's based on the uh, novel. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a great film with Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd, conveys the thoughts of a patient unjustly caged in a mental institution. This is 86. Very, very forward thinking of James and Lars at the time to come up with the the thoughts. Because think about it, they're, they're young, 20-year-olds. And they were, at the time, they were pretty bad about their drinking. So it should be noted that at this time, and James has struggled with alcohol addiction throughout his life, and he's clean right now, but he had a recent stint early, but at least he keeps trying. There's no shame in that, and uh, we want James to be healthy. Uh, it's an addiction. It's a, it is a disease, but he's been fighting it his whole life, but he's been clean more than he hasn't been the last 30 years, I think. so. But definitely these first three albums, I think he was very, <laughs> very not sober. But for the recording of Master Puppets, they made sure that they were sober for all the recordings. They took this album very seriously. Yeah. Anyways, I was all over the place here, but I was saying how young they are, but coming up with the idea that even back then they recognized that people are, are unjustly locked up in mental institutions when it's, it's too bad. You know, we got a lot of people uh, who aren't getting the help they need. And right. uh, maybe unjustly so they're locked up. And they shouldn't be locked up in this cage is one of the uh, lines. It's, a, it's, it's an ever enduring problem, I think. Ugh, of course, of course. So you hear a little bit of a James uh, kind of harmonious type vocal sound here. Yeah, a little bit of background vocal there. You don't get too many harmony vocals on a Metallica song. You get a lot of harmony solos. Not too many harmony vocals. Not too many harmony vocals. I want you to to lead the verse into the chorus because the thing that I find, and you can kind of hear the mental patient unraveling in this because mm. as the verse goes on, he starts with a softer register on his voice. But then as the verse gets closer to the chorus, he starts to get gravelly and like sounding more and more angry. Yeah, you can almost see him wrapped up in a uh, straitjacket and he's trying to shake back and forth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Could, you, could you just play that progression? Of course. And then it repeats that same type of motif. You can feel the buildup, the rage. 
that yeah. this, I love that build up throughout the verse. I, I'm going to get slaughtered for this. I, I, I almost hesitate bringing it up, but I know James plays a lot more solo work than we sometimes forget that he does play a lot of solo work, but you don't catch it until you see it live. And I believe he does the solo part here. I know he does the intro part. Uh, he, he usually gets the early solos, and, yeah. and Kirk gets the real big, the bombastic, yeah, ripping solos. Later Which is on. coming up right now. There's an amazing part right now that's coming up that I want to showcase where it does then end with that incredible Metallica energy that they have, where the, the patient's now gone to full throttle and insanity. <laughs> <laughs> and James yells the part, sings the chorus again, because into it goes, Sanitarium, leave me be. Then he yells, just leave me alone. He yells that uh, yeah. in the concert. It's, this the Again, I'm not. A, I'm not a prude. I don't necessarily need to have cursing. We don't curse on the show. But the way he does it live is amazing because he usually yells out, just leave me the F alone. The way he screams mm-hmm. at that real anger that this person may have in real life is amazing. Let's just listen to it. See if I found it. Okay, before we kick in a little bit of a Kirk's Oof. genius of the solo here, uh, oh, yeah. I know <laughs> you, that's that's blue balls. If I ever, heard. I, <laughs> you, know, I, you can cut that so, out. Sorry, no, no, people are so mad at me. Like, no, I, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't play the whole song all the way through anyway. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we know what's coming. Kirk's amazing solo here, but I love the poetry, quite frankly, here because now the mental patient. I don't mean mental, it's about the. Uh, the mental health patients, better way of saying it, is about to go into overdrive here. The lines here, fear of living on, natives getting restless. I like the idea of natives at this place. Mutiny yeah. in the air. You can feel the tension building in this facility. Got some death to do. Mirrors stare back hard. Kill is such a friendly word. Seems the only way for reaching out again. But that now, hits, I, man. Yeah, and I always took that as him killing himself. The talk about mutiny and everything, it, it seems true. like they're organizing a, a coup. <laughs> There in the sanitarium. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. Let's uh, hear Kirk's soul here to pound that energy home. Not a very long solo. I know it. They go through a couple of measures of that. Just that dun, 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 dun. to cap that one off. There's this great guitar part that goes dun, 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 every time. That just, just let that play real quick. Right here. Yeah. 
Great, great, great stuff. Yeah, it's a powerful song. That's a song that should get boring fast. It's a type of song. It shouldn't be as fresh as it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It beats the odds. It beats the odds. I don't know how it does it. I mean, it's an amazing song, but it's songs like that run to the danger of not being held up after 30 plus years, but it it certainly does that. This is the 35 year anniversary of this album, by the way. Wow. Look at that. Hey, <laughs> my kids come on enough. It's I nice know. to see it. Yeah, I was going to say to our audience, if you hear some clickety clack at the keyboard, it's my son playing Roblox on the computer next to me. But just bear with me. I'm a father still. Father first, podcaster 10th. <laughs> mm, yeah, right. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so the next song, this one is uh, this is another song we talked about where it's very clear what they're speaking about. Disposable Heroes is essentially at the end of the day, I'm in the military and I'm not going to speak ill of my government because I'm not allowed to. But, <laughs> but, and I I wouldn't anyway. So what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. is, is that it's unfortunate throughout time is what I'm getting at. Uh, I'm proud to be in the military and I'm proud to serve my country. But it's unfortunate that throughout time, especially World War One and Two, the Vietnam War, of course, those are the big ones of recent years in our world's history. People have laid their life on the line for government officials and greedy men, usually, who don't do the fighting themselves. These heroes, and they are heroes. These people have died in war. And the album cover, we should make it known, the album cover though it's called Master of Puppets, it's specifically, it's talking about, you know, those are the people that are in power. And it shows strings attached to these uh, crosses on a, like a cemetery row, endless looking of crosses, and with an army helmet hanging on one of the cross, of course. This song, even though it, it's not the title track, in many ways it kind of is the title track. Yeah, that's the, the overarching theme of pretty much the entire album, right? The Master of Puppets and, and Disposable Heroes refers to the government just churning out soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, as cannon like fodder. fodder. Yeah, exactly. Is that just something for the enemy to shoot at? Almost as if there were clones in the Clone Wars of sure. the Star Wars prequels. Just in the song Master of Puppets, it's a guy that can't can get over his own cocaine addiction. And Leper Messiah, you know, which we, we'll get to next, it's about televangelists and how they control the masses by uh, manipulating people that believe in in their religion it's really like a nice a good overarching theme that covers like a lot of different aspects um during over the entirety of the album it's really it's really i don't know how that how they had the foresight to do this man i i'll never get it geniuses even at such a young age they're artists uh and they were born with the gift that we don't have this dna in us we just yeah, maybe you're born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. <laughs> Why did I laugh at that? What a that part right there, just no secret what we're getting into. <laughs> well, Re- it, really insanely good, uh, and it opening. was place where it was, of course, because now we're the second side of the album. This when you bought this as like a set or as an LP back in the day, you know, now like you're flipping it over. This is the first song on side two of the next four songs, and yeah, you're getting into another eight minute song. This is uh, speaking of title tracks, it actually is the same length as the title track, Master Puppets. But yeah, you're getting to right away. Yeah, this is Disposable Heroes. This is a wartime song, anti war song. What was the charging sound of the battle?
And I always pictured this of the soldiers charging across the field with the rifles going through barbed wire and what have you. And then that, no, no, no. I always picture that that's like uh, enemies in the foreground coming to meet them, especially with the planes like flying overhead. I kind of pictured this coalesce of enemies and friendlies mm-hmm. coming together to, to it's fight. Kinda, it's like a buildup before the actual fighting starts. Yeah, right. Because it's the charging, the getting ready. Yeah. Because yeah. you hear that galloping like, dun, 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 dun. but the drum beat behind it is kind of like a, just a, slow like a slow build yeah it's awesome before the action but he's even kicked up a notch here but it's going to kick up again for a third time lines there right away it says soldier boy made of clay now an empty shell 21 only son but he served us well bread to kill not to care do just as we say finished here greetings death he's yours to take away yep that's just keeping the chills just <laughs> just listening to that now i think it's worth hearing that how he sings that or yeah oh. That little uh, part at the end there, or that's Kirk's uh, version of kind of like a, a music that you would hear in a war film. Oh, nice. Okay. And we should listen to the chorus because this is important. And then we'll talk about the next part of the song I want to talk about. But yeah, here's the, here's the chorus because it's very telling of what this situation is like for these poor soldiers. And I love that where it's like you've got this leader saying, oh, back to the front. These poor kids are like, they're scared. I imagine this being like the faceless bureaucrat. Right. The, the guys that are looking over the map while they're in their tent or whatever. or Even above those yeah. guys, the uh, yeah, the yeah. bureaucrats with the ties. Right. You know, the yeah, guys send them in. Yeah. Send them in. Send they're, them in. They're dispensable. They're soldiers. What's their problem? And we probably have a few listeners. Uh, I don't know, uh, know a lot of soldiers and veterans are Metallica fans. And, and Metallica is a huge supporter of veterans. Mm-hmm. They've done many shows for them. They are huge supporters of the veterans. I have always loved their love of, particularly they're from the U.S., so their love of the U.S. troops. And mm-hmm. they've always supported the troops. So having an anti-war song, they're not anti-troops. They support right. the veterans. And they recognize the danger and the sacrifice these people make, but to say that people have not died because of the selfishness of government whims is ridiculous. You know, we, it's, it's a horrible situation where people have died in war because of land, oil, 
whatever relations, whatever the thing, like really, what do we, yeah, I don't want to get too much into it. I mean, I'm in the military and I'm proud to serve and we do our, we do security patrols and we try to keep the, the waterways, uh, cause I'm in the Navy, uh, free for trade and human trafficking to stop and drug running. Who wants that? Who wants that? The, the, this want is one, one of those songs where, I mean, the, the music behind it is great, but the lyrics, they hit you just as hard as the, as the music itself does. Yeah. Okay, this part here. So Kirk does his solo work going on here, and then they go into their bridge, uh, their bridge chorus here. And then James screams at the part, "I was born for dying." They need to play this song more live. I would yeah. be happy if they gave up Master Puppets and they just started playing this one more live. This is a very underplayed live song. End of the day, they should be playing this more. Like he's got to yep. do that more live. He's got to do that. Look, I love Master Puppets, but to me, this is a better song. I think this is a better song. <laughs> Honestly, I, I it don't might know be if sacrilege. It's, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as bored of it. I don't know. This is yeah, that that could be it. Master Puppets is played to death. That's but this the problem, would, Matt. That's especially what, that part. Like you, you can get the crowd involved in that part too. Yes, like if you, the if you whole want crowd, crowd interaction. Yeah, because you, you turn the lights on to the crowd, and everyone's like, "I was bored," and the whole crowd screams yeah. it. Oh, it'd be amazing. or even the the die part. Yeah. You know, yeah, they love doing the die for the crowd. Die, <laughs> die. Yeah. creepy death. I love that. Creepy uh, death. Yeah. yeah. This is a crowd song. This is a song they should. I know that you have played it live. It's not very often. It's not very often. Okay. Leopard Messiah. What is with the songs about televangelism back then? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, you're Tammy Faye, Jimmy Bakers. Well, because televangelists back then were quite a thing. It wouldn't fly today. And I don't think it flies today, at least on TV the way it did. But they were so prominent back then. Even I, as a kid, saw these people on TV. Basically, you send me your money, give us your money. Uh, you have these people faking miracles on the stage, falling backwards. Come on with this stuff. I'm glad today's people are a little bit more like today's youth and today's uh, audience are a little bit more savvy where they now treat these people as uh, the caricatures that they are. Yeah. Maybe it was easy to poke fun at back in the day. Like I, I didn't, I mean, as a 10 year old, I didn't realize it was televangelism was as big of a, a scam as it really was. But well, yeah. Um, it's a big money grab. Like, you know, you give us money and God will show you the way. All it was only about the easy. money for these people. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean Anthrax had a song about it. These guys, you know, like they I guess they saw through the uh the fraud. Right. And uh see so yeah, Leprem Bazai is the uh, based on the false promises by a TV van evangel. Now, if you're religious or if you're spiritual, that's fine. That's wonderful. I actually consider myself spiritual in the sense I believe in being good, I believe in being kind, I believe in I don't know if karma is the right word, but I, I believe what you put out in the world, you do receive to some degree. I mean, bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a father and I'm a father and I know you're a good father and because uh, you try. I know you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect either as being a parent, but you can always tell the parents that try. You're trying to be in involved. the right place. Yeah, your heart's in the right. Yeah, of course you're going to fall short. But what I'm getting at is that's my religion. That's my philosophy. That's my spirit. It's just being kind to those around you. And you just hope they'll be kind to those around them. And I know it sounds corny. I know it sounds cliche. But if everybody was just nice to everybody, kind of wouldn't that solve a lot? I know. It's it's, it's so stupidly simple. It's actually mind-boggling to me, Doug. You keep your intelligence level. 
You keep your art- artistic level. You keep your fitness. Everything that it makes you, you. But then the only thing that I would ask the human race to change is just be nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a simple – it's simple in theory. But I mean, yeah. No, we still lose our temper. I stub my toe and I say a couple of curse words, or I, yeah. I find things in life frustrating. Like there'll be things at work that I, you know, I find difficult, or you know, my favorite sports team loses a game. You're allowed to have emotions and say, "Oh man, it sucks." Or that. I'm not talking about not having emotions or being frustrated or even feeling angry. There's a difference mm. between having frustration and anger and being unkind. There's a level of greed that mean you can't really comprehend there's that feeling where i want to succeed no matter what bridges i burn down no matter who yeah. i hurt no matter who i step on and that, that's not our style the uh, types that make the world go round i don't know not, not to say you and i are saints by any stretch of imagination but we're very like-minded uh individuals did you see that news footage of that truck dragging that mini cooper across the highway <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> It's terrible. I'm not even – I'm laughing because it's like laugh or cry, right? Yeah. This truck driver, maybe he was cut off by this Mini Cooper. Maybe the Mini Cooper did do something. It's attempted manslaughter. I don't know how he's going to get out of this. Like he's pushing a car across the highway for a long time. I think it was like seven kilometers or was it or seven minutes, one of the two. You're going to jail and your desire to hurt somebody in the process where you thought you were wronged. We've all been wronged. I've been wronged. But to cause harm just right away back because you've been wronged is – I mean, you're a police officer, right, Doug? I am, yes. How busy would your, your job be if everyone that you dealt with was kind? Oh, man. We, <laughs> it, it would be a lot more, I guess, rewarding as a career if it was. Right. <laughs> you know, we, I mean, there'd still be emergencies. You'd still be called out to yeah. emergencies and stuff. But you wouldn't have robbery, assault, domestic calls. You'd almost be out of a job. I know. A society like that can pretty much govern itself. Well, yeah, you wouldn't need security because there would be no need. I wouldn't jump the stage to hurt somebody. Right. <laughs> Alas, this is the world we live. Ugh, I'm sorry. I, you know, the older I get, Doug, the real, the more I realize I just uh, – not to get all philosophical here, but I just – the older I get, I'm definitely midlife. You know, I'm 45. Sure, um, sure. If not past midlife. I just realize uh, people, you just let go of your anger. There's so much to be enjoyed in this world. If you just let go of your selfishness and anger, you might actually enjoy your life. I mean, too philosophical here. No, I, I, I got lost in it too. But okay. Just- All right. So here's Leper Messiah. Let's uh, check this out. One, two. That was Lars at the beginning there. One, two. Very distinctive voice. I pause it here. Uh, yeah, I was just saying there, that was Lars calling up the time at the beginning. Uh, obviously, he's the drummer or what have you, but it's, you can hear him. He's Lars. He's always, he's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but I love this part that's coming right now, this rolling the baseline. The baseline. Yeah, here we go.
right? So for our listeners, line there, I, I love that line where he says, uh, spineless from the start, of course, the beginning, sucked into the part. Circus comes to town. You play the lead clown. I love that. Speaking to those evangelicals, you know, that circus, you know, they're, they're doing their rounds and, and they're spreading his disease, living by his story. And I love that knees, knees, falling to your knees, suffer for his glory. You will. I like the tra- that trail off. You will. Or the echo. You yes. will. You will. You will. And then it goes into the chorus. Time for lust. Time for lie. Time to kiss your life goodbye. Send me money. Send me green. Heaven you will meet. Make a contribution. You'll get the better seat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, it's man. all about the money. It's a really groovy opening. You know, it's not as fast as the songs we've heard before, but I like the guitars and the drums just go really, really well together here in the beginning. This is my favorite part of the song right here. Rolling. This is actually my favorite song on the album. Leopard Messiah? Yeah. It's a dark yeah. horse, I know. I love this album, but just like there's <clears throat> a least favorite, because they're all mm-hmm. favorites. This is one that has built on me throughout the years. I always find something different or new from that I just love. And it's just the, the message of it. Uh, and everything everything about it, I just love. It's definitely not in the running for the worst, that's for sure. Yeah. I've always enjoyed this song. It just it makes me want to move. Did you see their uh, concert video that they did, concert footage, where they had uh, the movie theater experience they did about seven or eight years ago? I, I forget what it was so. called. What was it called? Anyways, it was like they had some film footage and stuff mixed in with uh, their concert footage. It was like a Metallica concert. It was like 20. 20- right. 14 or 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they played at the end of it, just the four guys on a, on stage, and it was just the camera crew and them. They played this next song, uh, Orion. Orion's probably the, well, it's probably the greatest instrumental they've done, I would say. Do they have any? It's not like it's a huge running. I mean, they have one on uh, Call to Cthulhu, then they have uh, they have one on Ride the Lightning, uh, Justice for All, and they have one also, they actually have one, one on Death Magnetic as well. So they don't have very many in the sense they have a lot, but they seem to... <laughs> Put one or two out per uh, one album, uh, one per album. This is just an amazing jazz infused type buildup. This whole song now it's eight and a half minutes. We just don't have the time, obviously, to play even too many parts. But I mm-hmm. uh, let's just uh, give a bit of a sample of here what the song sounds like. Now it's a big, big build. It's almost like a minute. So you hear this like throughout the beginning. It's just a very right. quiet buildup, but then it kicks in at the minute mark of this part. with that kind of groove but what I love about the song it's a very groove mm-hmm. kind of like it's just like a, it's hard to explain but it's a very kind of groove infested type song mm-hmm. yeah it makes you want to move dun, yeah dun. It's almost danceable in its own way yeah and I give a lot of credit to Lars's drum beat on that it's not a fast beat but it goes well with the guitars that are just it's like those palm use that they do dun, 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 oh yeah know, that, that kind of adds to the grooviness of it all right, and now uh, there's a lot of changes in the song. The song has a lot to offer, and it's eight minutes. Mm-hmm. 
this is the halfway point. Yeah, Cliff Burns, amazing bass player. <clears throat> yeah. Be, always be missed by the both the band and fans. That's probably James there. You get that nice bluesy kind of soul work that will kick in. That has some Jerry Cantrell feel to it, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you hear that, too. I love this uh, solo work here. At, uh, let's play this last part that I really like the way Kirk's tone sounds here on his guitar. And then it kicks in again back to that uh, beginning riff. I should know, and Doug said this before the uh, show started, people who have listened to our podcast regularly, we thank you for your listenership. Uh, but we have a rule on our show that instrumentals don't count, but that I should make it clear. It's not that they don't count to have a pick or not. It's because usually the singer doesn't participate. But because all members participate in the song, it counts that it can be, in theory, in running for the worst song on the album. So Doug asked, are we not doing Orion? I said, no, no, we're doing Orion because all four members participate. That's the rule. And I should make that, it's not that instrumentals don't count. It's just nine times out of the 10, when it is an instrumental song, the lead singer mm-hmm. usually bows out. But it so happens that James does both guitar and lead singing. So he's in this song playing. And me not really analyzing this one for the episode didn't change the fact that it's not going to be in the bottom e- either. Even though it's an instrumental, and usually it's the lyrics and the, the vocal melody that kind of draws you in, yeah, there's enough sure. going on in this song that really keeps you interested through the eight and a half minutes. You know, it's not a boring song at all. Instrumentals are tough. And that's why I usually take them off the, uh, the, the bracket for picking worse because it's kind of an easy pick. I like good instrumentals, but I'm sorry. I can't listen to instrumentals in the sense of there's something Mm -hmm. to be said about vocals. The human vocal is an amazing instrument. It adds energy and personality that guitars, drums, don't do, but they'll work together. I think singing is such a valuable part of a song. It's hard to argue otherwise. But Orion is a song where it's like, oof, this is, it doesn't need it. In fact, vocals might wreck it. It's almost now, like the guitars, those real trippy solos take the place of what you would want in a vocal. Yeah, that's know? fair. Absolutely. Last song. Can you believe it? Last song is the only song that has an explicit warning is the song Damage Incorporated. So the same way that the album opened with a crash bang thrash metal type energy the album closes with the same type of thing like i said they don't usually curse metallica didn't like the fact that the record labels put an advisory on their uh, on their album because of this one song and they had this right at that time that organization uh, forgot what it was called but the parents organization got together and they you know they wanted to put a warning on these albums to protect the kid like a lot of the bands rebelled against it and the stance that anthrax took and battling it too was crazy. So the band mocked the warning stickers promoted by the PMRC. That's who you're talking about. That's the Parents Musical Resource Center. Yeah. They mm-hmm. were in a, as an American committee formed in 85 with the stated goal of increasing parental control over the excess of children to music deemed to have violent or drug related or whatever. Shut up. 
it's so just, uh, just mind your own freaking business. It's so stupid to have an organized. I, as a parent, will figure this out. I would be thrilled if my, my kids listen to this album. Uh, I know. Anyway, so the, this one song does have the F word in it a couple times. It's used once, and it's an amazing usage in the song. We can't really play it for the uh, podcast because it's just we just don't have the F word on this. It's a non-explicit podcast. But they had this to say. This is quoting from the band. I don't know which band member said this. The only track you probably won't play is Damage Incorporated due to the multiple use of the infamous F words. Otherwise, there aren't any S words, F words, P words, C words, MFers, or CSers anywhere on this record, which is so true. There's nothing <laughs> gratuitous in this record at all. And the lyric, uh, it's it's the, <laughs> it's the best one of the best parts of the song. It's almost too bad we can't play it because it just I wouldn't want to edit it. But it's at the end here where it says um right here. That's right here. It's still say oh. the F word three times. Yeah. I didn't even catch that one. Slamming through don't F with Razorback. Stepping out, you'll feel they sing so fast on this song. Yeah. Uh, but there's the the best one of the best parts of the song is like F it all and F and no regrets. That's it. Which yeah. is a mantra. That's a mantra that people live by. Yeah. So there it says damage jackals ripping right through you. Sight and smell of this. It gets me going. Know just how to get just what we want. Tear it from your soul and nightly hunt. F it all and F and no regrets. Never happy endings on these dark sets. All's fair for Damage Incorporated. You see, step a little closer if you please. That part of the song is just amazing. Let's uh, sample the energy at the beginning here. It's a big intro that I, cu- I cut out, and then they kick in with this thrash beginning. There's only three this minutes. This is thrash. Yeah, this is uh, straight up thrash. Uh, like, I think they did this on purpose, too, because much of this album isn't this. So battery and damage mm-hmm. are this. It's kind of like showing their thrash. Because I think this album might have divided even some of the Metallica fans back then. There were people already back then, with the, even with the old Metallica, there were people uh, even back then before the Black album ever came out. And before one was a video, there was Metallica fans even here that they were mad. Ride the Lightning is such a great Thrash album that you can't kill it for Fade to Black. Just like yeah. you can't kill Master Puppets for Welcome Home. I mean, it's it's just one song out of out of eight that rock. Yeah. This and this is this is a great. I mean, like you said, that it's like the Thrash um, songs like kind of bookend the album, and this like with Battery Master Puppets up front, and this is like a great finisher, man. You want to go out on a bang? This is a great finisher.
And of course, everyone loves that whisper, Damage Incorporated. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of the lyrics up front, I think it's in the first verse. He says, living on your knees, conformity, dying on your feet for honesty. And did you ever hear, hear like any versions of this kind of quote before? Can't think of anything. I've heard it before in, in music. You ever hear the band Rise Against? I'm not familiar with it, but I know they yeah. exist. And my son actually yeah. saw them in concert, but yeah, so did I. I I'm actually a, a big fan of theirs. They, I think they fall under the hardcore screamo kind of kind of genre, but they have a, a song where they insert lines from this movie Catch-22, where one of the characters tells another guy, like, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Think about that quote. It's like a cry of defiance saying it's better to die fighting for what you believe in than living your life begging or surviving by bowing down to whomever's in charge. That quote has always kind of resonated with me. We talked before about how people do what they do for success, do what they have to do, and they they don't care who they tear down in the process. And this is the anti that. I just love, I don't know, I I love the uh, the quote. That was awesome. how, How he uses it here. Living on your knees, conformity, dying on your feet for honesty. Love it. Love it. What a great closer. And now we have the arduous task. And this is where we're going to upset some of our listeners if we have it already, because I know this is almost blasphemy, but keep in mind, just because something is the worst or the least of the best <laughs> in mm-hmm. this case, doesn't mean we don't love it. <laughs> this is, But this is what makes this uh, our project with this podcast as fun as it's been on some episodes, because it does challenge us. Some topics are easier than others to pick a worst. It's very easy. Some are more difficult, which makes it more fun in some ways, because you have to say, okay, which one, if I had to rank these songs, if I had to rank... They're not all 10 out of 10. They're not. This album is a 10 out of 10 in my books. But within the album, there is one track. I'll go first. Unless we both have that. I always feel bad because I want my guests to go first. Actually, go first. Go first. I went first first in the the Anthrax episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good memory. All right. And it's been this way since I've listened to this album since day one. It's a song that... I've tried to have it grow on me. Leopard Messiah, it's not my pick, by the way. Leopard Messiah was a song when I first heard it. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it grew and it grew and it grew. I was like, oh, I really appreciate the song to the point where it's like my favorite song on the album. It's just an amazing song. So many gems. And it's one of the shorter songs too, but so many gems in that song that it, it grows on you. And I love a song that surprises you with multiple listens. But this song, no matter what, after 30 years of listening to this album it has not grown on me it has stayed the same not a bad song mm-hmm. there are bands who wish they had a song like this let me make that clear right. <laughs> okay it's a uh, track three the thing that should not be yeah i chose the exact same i had a feeling that's why, uh, that's why i kind of wanted you to go first i feel bad but uh, no 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 again like we have such a similar taste in, in what we look for and everything it's a unique song mm-hmm. There's some great parts to it. I just think all in all, it's the same thing over. And how long is it? It's, it's six and a half, six minutes, 40 seconds. So it's of, of the same thing. That's repeating. the problem. It, it might've been a better song. Had they tightened it, but in madness, you dwell. It's yeah. too much. It's the like vocal melody is kind of droning. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the, the riff I mentioned earlier, it's low and it's heavy and chunky, but it's the same riff over and over and over. It's not a discredit to the song. It's a still <laughs> it's still better than a lot of metal songs I've ever heard. The yeah, most metal course. songs I've ever heard. But when you have to pick 
an eighth best on this album. That one just comes there. You in. go. <laughs> it's, the eighth, <laughs> it's the eighth best song. It's, it's not a bad song. I never skip mm-hmm. it. It's a little long in the tooth for a song. It's only six and a half minutes long, which in Metallica terms, it's not that long. Uh, right. But it just, I think if they shaped it to three and a half, four minutes, it, we, it would be a, a better song. It might still be my worst pick, but it still, it, it wouldn't feel like it, it, it drags. And when a song drags mm-hmm. to some, yeah, the, uh, the dragging point, you're kind of like, mm, okay. Yeah. That's All it. Right. Yeah. That's it. Well, Doug, thank you so much for, for coming on. Do you oh, want to just pleasure. Do you want to just plug where you're from and what you're doing? Yeah, I'm uh my main podcast is Rocky Minute and I'm part of the ever expanding Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. You know, we encompass all things action in the greatest genre uh, era of action movies ever, like the 80s and 90s, you know, action films. Just you can picture it in your mind. That's what we do now. Uh, over here with Ryan and his Going the Distance podcast, uh, Craig yeah. Cohen Slycast. Now we added uh, Bruce Willis, James Bond podcast, Dolph, Dolph Lundgren, Lundgren podcast. Yeah. But we're taking over the world, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, again, so just Google on Facebook or on your Google apps, the last of the Action Heroes podcast network. And you'll find in that feed a multiple of uh, movie reviews of the uh, the golden age of action films. All right. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Doug. Remember, in front of every silver lining, there's a cloud. And uh, Doug and I today found that for you on Master of Puppets. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm sorry. I'm, I get so no, chatty, don't, Kathy, don't sometimes. Be. I, I, honestly, I didn't think that we would get so much content out of an eight-song record, but this yeah. was this was incredible, man. I'll be editing this one. I have to edit this one, but it's going to be yeah, a good edit. It's, it's a monster. Fun. But yeah. thanks for having me on. You bet, brother. Always. We'll talk soon. You got it, man. Later. Bye-bye. Damn, Productions.